Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and this is March the 17th in the year of our Lord, 2023. It's a Friday. I've got something that I've been really thinking about for some time and decided to use the program to speak to you. Many of you realize I enjoy watching YouTube. I hardly ever turn on the television anymore because you go to YouTube and then you can put in a subject that you would like. For example, because I'm working with four congregations where there are farmers, I wanted to know more about how do they plant their seed? How do they harvest it? Do they do this all by hand? And it's been an amazing education as you go to YouTube and ask about farm machinery. Some of that machinery is $600,000. It can plant 16 rows of seed at once. And then the machine remembers by computer where the seed is planted so that it is harvested with as little damage to the crops as possible. I still haven't figured out how they go through a cornfield, you know, take up all the corn, and all they end up are the corn right off of the corn itself. Hundreds of thousands of seeds, hundreds of thousands of kernels. It's just really amazing what a farmer can do. Then I like looking at other things. I, I enjoy movies, uh, especially where they're after criminals. But one of the most interesting programs I watch is called the FBI Files. And the reason I enjoy doing that is it gives me a sense of how people are thinking in the world today, and particularly in the United States. And these are true stories of the FBI as they are able to find out who the criminal is with wonderful techniques. And those techniques are kind of what I want to talk about today. Forensic science. Uh, for example, they can find out a criminal because criminals leave a lot of their self behind when they do a crime. Uh, remember in Moscow, Idaho, all that was left behind was a case for the knife in which this man had killed four young people. And they were able to find a part of a DNA on that case, traced it to his father, and it wasn't quite the DNA that his father had, but they were then able to realize that it had to come from somebody he had begotten. This is how far DNA has come. It's just really amazing. They, they can find all kinds of things. Uh, one man was arrested because they had found a leaf in his car that had a little bit of blood on it and they were able to get from the blood the DNA of the victim that he had killed. So forensic science is really, really important. 
I was watching this one that I want to talk about. You can find it on YouTube. It's entitled The Shocking Murder of Riley Crossman. That's C-R-O-S-S-M-A-N. All you need to do is put in Riley Crossman and you will find the YouTube episode of what happened to her. Well, I began looking at the program and what happened is mom had woken up in the morning and they couldn't find the daughter. She was nowhere to be found. They even did searching for her, etc. But then they interviewed individuals. They interviewed neighbors. They interviewed other family members. And then they interviewed a man named Andy McCauley, who just so happened to be the boyfriend of the mother who was living with her. That's right. She had brought a boyfriend in. I believe she had had a divorce, and therefore the boyfriend was living in the house with her and her daughter. Well, one day the mother was gone to work, and the boyfriend, Andy, had gone into the daughter's bedroom, woke her up, did bad things to her, and then when she threatened to tell, he murdered her, took her body, put it in a car, and drove her to a place where he buried her. Now, as soon as I heard the word boyfriend, I jumped to the conclusion immediately, he was the one responsible for the missing daughter. What, what surprised me is how long it took the police to come to that decision. Why? Because many of the police do not have a Christian attitude or realization about reality. And here we have a woman who's not married, brings into her household her boyfriend sleeping with him while she has a young and beautiful daughter in the household. It didn't surprise me at all that as they did more investigation, they found out he was the murderer. And they did that for, through forensic science. It was also called how cameras are picking up more and more of the criminal's activities. What they had done, if I remember correctly, is they had taken a look at his credit bills and found that he had bought gas at a certain station kind of far away from the house. They went to the station and the station had a camera that was looking out on the road that passed by and looking at that, they found a video of his car at the station at the time that he bought the gas. And then it drove and went down the road into the mountain. Keep being an eye on the video. They saw the car return after some time. Now that road into the mountain 
was only used by people who either lived there and he did not, or had some purpose other than trying to live there. It wasn't a vacation area or anything. So they kind of figured it out and they took a cadaver dog. Now, a cadaver dog is a dog that is trained to smell bodies that are decaying. And before long, going to where they thought he had stopped, the cadaver dog found the body of the young daughter. Now, what really interested me was that they had a commentator on this episode talking about how they had interviewed neighbors, uh, other members of the family, etc. although they never interviewed the mother. And I think I know why, but let me tell you what the neighbor said. When asked about this boyfriend, Andy McCauley, they said, well, he's a wonderful person. He helps out. He's willing to serve you. He can take care of you if you have a need. Uh, nobody had a negative word about him. And yet, they discovered that he was the one who had murdered the daughter. Now, why didn't they talk to the mother? I can understand that she probably didn't want to go in front of the camera like the neighbors did, because in my view, she was responsible also for the death of her daughter because she brought a boyfriend into the house. In other words, what you have are two people, the woman who brought the boyfriend and the boyfriend who have no connection to Jesus Christ because they are living in sin. And the sin they are living in, we understand to be either the sin where you are having relationships with somebody you are not married. It's either fornication or it's adultery. The fact of the matter is, is what do you expect is going to happen in a household where there are two people living in unrepentant sin. You, you can't believe how many times the FBI true story is about women who have trusted men and began to live with them. This is a very common practice today. For example, that there are women who get engaged and as soon as they get engaged and they're going to be married, say, in three or four months, they move in with their boyfriend. Well, Proverbs is very clear that God never lets a sin go that is not unpunished. So it's not at all unusual that these people have big arguments, women are beaten up, and a lot of times they are so naive in trusting a man who wants to come in and live with them in that way that they're going to be expecting that something 
is not going to happen properly. So this broadcast is really for young women who are living in a home with a mother who has decided to bring in a boyfriend who sleeps with him and he's in the house with the daughters. Now, what's my advice? My advice, if you are a daughter and you have a mother who has a boyfriend living in the house, you should go to your mother and explain to her that you are very uncomfortable. It really doesn't matter what she thinks of this boyfriend. She may say, but, but honey, we love each other. No, that, that's the word she uses, but it is a fleshly love. It is not a proper love that God has instituted between two people who are living together outside of marriage. If the mother refuses to tell her boyfriend to leave, then depending on the age of the woman, she should leave the household, either by going to live with another relative where she is more protected, or if she's alone, get her own apartment. If she is not of an age where she can leave the house, then she should make sure she is never alone with a boyfriend in the house, which can be quite difficult because these mothers sometimes also have a job and then the boyfriend can be alone in the house. It's as bad as having your mother's boyfriend in the house as it would be if, for example, a church is having a nursery during worship and they hire what? A gay person or one who has had difficulties with children to watch over the children. You do not want that in your nursery. Every congregation that has a nursery needs to have at least two adults in the nursery at all times or else things that have happened in the Missouri Synod where they have been sued a lot of money because people were not watching over those items. Now, there's another alternative that a young woman can have if her mother insists on having her boyfriend that she supposedly loves and he loves her. No, the, the two of them are outside of God's wisdom and anything can happen to the daughter. What should she do? If the family is a member of the church, the daughter should go and talk to the pastor and say, my mother is having her boyfriend live with us and I'm really uncomfortable with that. If he is a good pastor, which means he's trained in God's wisdom, he should begin excommunication procedures against the mother. Excommunication? Why would you do something terrible like that? Well, excommunication is not a terrible item. In fact, it is a gift from God 
and has one purpose, and that is to bring a person who is living in unrepentant sin back into the church. Now, excommunication can take some time. I was in a congregation for 28 years, and we excommunicated six people. That's about a person every four years. And and some of them, to get the final excommunication, it took two or three years to do that. For example, there were times where I began the process of excommunication, but it did not conclude with a statement of excommunication by the congregation because the person repented and came back into the church. Uh, For example, I got a call from a hospital once that one of my members had been shot. They didn't give me any details, so I rushed to the hospital to find out why she had been shot. Maybe it was a member of the family, maybe it was a neighbor, maybe she was in a store and a man opened up fire, as we have seen. What was the reason? Well, I got to the hospital and the bullet had been taken care of surgically and she was doing better and resting in her bed. And I said, what happened? And she told me that she had been working as a secretary in an abortion clinic and a man had rushed in trying to stop his wife from killing their baby in her womb and began shooting around. She caught one of the bullets. Well, I had a prayer for her asking that God would restore her health. And then we went and talked with the elders. And as a group, we decided to bring excommunication procedure against her because she was working in an abortion clinic, which is a sin of which she was not at that time repentant. So I returned to the hospital and told her what the church was going to do. And she said, Pastor Baker, you know, I have lost my husband and I am trying to work. And this was a job opening, just being a secretary. And I did not participate in any of the abortions, but I dealt with the paperwork that was necessary for a woman to have an abortion. I said to her, what would you think of a Nazi woman in Nazi Germany who was the secretary at one of the camps where the Jews were killed? She kept track of names. She kept track of their clothing. They have wonderful records at these Nazi concentration camps. Would you say that she was innocent from God's point of view? Well, of course not. She said, well, I'm more than willing to leave the abortion clinic. I understand what you're saying, and I realize I was sinning. I'm sorry for it, but I don't have a job. So we returned to the church, and we began to ask people about any job openings. 
and we got her a job elsewhere. She left the abortion clinic. The excommunication procedure was halted, and she repented and returned to church. Excommunication, believe it or not, is part of the teaching of the small catechism. But a lot of pastors just do the commandments, which show us our problem with God. Then the creed, which shows us our solution to our problem with God in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then we go over the Lord's Prayer, where we make petitions to God to help us and out of our problem. And then baptism in the Lord's Supper is God's answer as to how he transferred the benefits that Christ won for you on the cross to you. I mean, read Romans 6. It says that in baptism, you are not only crucified with Christ, you're buried with him, and also you rise from the dead. This is very important. It's a part of Luther's small catechism entitled, What is Confession? And it says, confession has two parts. First, we confess our sins. And second, we receive absolution, that is forgiveness, from the pastor as from God himself, firmly believing that by it our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. Now, there's another section there's actually six sections on confession, but this one begins, what do you believe according to these words? I believe that when the called ministers of Christ deal with us by his divine command, in particular, when they exclude openly unrepentant sinners from the Christian congregation, and that they also absolve those who return Pent of their sins. This is just as valid and certain even in heaven as if Christ our dear Lord dealt with us himself. Now, I've been talking to a number of pastors and I've asked them the question, tell me a congregation that you know of who has excommunicated someone in the last five years. Now, I've talked to a number of pastors and not one of them can tell me a congregation that practice excommunication. You see, this is something that pastors need to be aware of because as I said, excommunication is a gift from God to restore an individual into the blessed congregation. For example, I have given a small excommunication by my own authority to people who are living together outside of marriage. I will not commune such people. But the process of excommunication takes time where we try and speak to these people by means of elders coming with the pastor and finally with the congregation being told about the situation and they excommunicate the individual. Of the six excommunicated, four of them did finally return to the church after a time. 
two of them did not. But if someone asked me, did those that did not return who were excommunicated, did they go to hell? In, in my mind, I have not given any evidence that they have repented. So I would think they went to hell, but I'm not God. I cannot read their hearts. Who knows that on their deathbed, when they were facing the portals of death to encompass them, that they did not have a change of heart and ask God for forgiveness for what they knew to be an unrepentant sin. They may have only been thinking of that as they lay on their deathbed. It's not at all unusual that I would bury someone who is not a member of my congregation. I was at a hospital once in the days when more than one person is in the hospital room. This one had four other people in other beds. And when I gave the Bible study, I would kind of speak loud so the other people would hear me and say a prayer. And, and sure enough, on more than one occasion, another of the persons would say to me, would, would you say a prayer for me? And I would come over to them. They were not even Christian, but they had heard the message of law and gospel and the comfort that was given by the Holy Spirit to my own member. They asked me to pray. And when I was done with a little Bible study for them, they said, I've never heard what you have said about all of my sins being forgiven by Christ on the cross. I said, do you believe that? And they did. If they died that night and I'd go to the hospital the next day to visit my member and found out they had died, but family members would come to me and say, you know, we've been trying to get this person to go to church and they wouldn't come, but they hear that you said something. Well, that's why I would bury that person because they were believers. Excommunication, a wonderful gift given by God to bring a person back into the church. And therefore, women, be aware of your circumstances and take action, even in talking to a pastor. Until Monday, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132 or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.